Well, it's been a, uh, a challenging assignment for me personally uh, in this season to adhere tightly to the texts that contain the narratives of Jesus' birth. Uh, I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope it's been of encouragement to you. Um, and for this series of messages taken from the narrative surrounding the birth of Jesus, we've employed as our theme the title of that well-known American Christmas carol, Do You Hear What I Hear? Second verse of that carol goes like this, said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Way up in the sky, shepherd boy. A song, a song, high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea. We've been observing over these weeks that the Bible reveals a God who loves, a God who loves us, and who in his love sings over us as a father singing over his children. The song of Christmas is a song of love. Jesus himself said, God expressed his love toward us, or for the world, in this way. He gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not, ha- not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. So the question we've been asking over these weeks is, do you hear it? Uh, Do you hear the song of love that God is singing over you? Do you hear the music? Do you understand the message that God in his love, and therefore in his intense grief over our alienation from him because of sin, sent his son on a rescue mission? The means of this rescue was to take on human flesh, to be born of a virgin, and then to offer himself in that flesh as the sacrifice for all the sins of humanity for all time. And then to rise from the dead, breaking forever the power that sin and death and the fear of death held over all of us. See, what's left for us, left to us, is to make a decision whether or not to believe in him, whether or not to transfer our trust from our own religiosity, our own morality, our own supposed goodness, our own cleverness, our own anticipation of our legal ability to persuade God that he ought to let us in, to what he accomplished for us at the cross, where meaningful atonement, meaningful sacrifice was offered that the Bible says was payment final and in full for all of our failure before God. Those who believe in him become the recipients of his rescue. And receive the gift of everlasting life. Those who do not believe in him face the terrible prospect of everlasting death and destruction. Separated from God for all of eternity. I often think at this time of year of of a story I heard many years ago about a a little boy gazing at the figurines in the uh, Christmas crush that his parents had set up in their home. And he saw Mary and Joseph and... The shepherds, the baby Jesus, a smattering of wise men and livestock, 
and an angel. And his mother just kind of noticed, made mental note that he was lingering there for quite a long time. And, and out of the corner of her eye, she saw that he was becoming very perplexed. So she gently asked, what's wrong, honey? What's, what's bothering you? And her son answered in an anguished voice, there's someone missing. Where's that other guy? And thinking that she may have failed to set out one of the figurines, she looked again at the nativity scene and realized to, to her relief that she had, in fact, put them all out. They were all there and accounted for. And so she asked, son, what other guy are you thinking of? To which the little boy answered, you know, that fat guy from the song. <laughs> Round John Virgin. But um bump, thank you for the thank you for your laughter. <laughs> yeah, I won't. This is my day job. The latter part of <laughs> the second chapter of Luke's gospel includes a story about a character who often goes missing from our telling of the Christmas story. Now, we tend to leave off at the shepherds glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, right? That's where we leave off. And the, and the character who goes missing when we do that is a man named Simeon. And his story is very much a part of the Christmas narrative. I, I'll... I'm going to guess that some of you actually have never heard of Simeon, never heard his story. We're going to call it Simeon's Song this morning. Let's stand and read it together. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. You may be seated. 
Verses 21 to 24. And by the way, I would encourage if you uh, have a Bible to open that. Uh, There are Bibles in the aisles, um, and I would encourage you to have one open this morning. Verses 21 to 24 portray Mary and Joseph participating in three ceremonies. And the first one is circumcision. Luke 2.21, at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Uh, the background, the Old Testament background in the law is found in Leviticus 12.3, where we read, on the eighth day, the boy's foreskin must be circumcised. Every Jewish boy underwent circumcision, and still today, it was a sign of inclusion in Israel, a mark of the covenant that God had made with Israel through Abraham. But notice that for Luke, the focus in verse 21 is not primarily on circumcision, but on the fact that at the appropriate time, Joseph and Mary called his name Jesus in obedience to the command the angel had given each of them individually before Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb. So on the eighth day, circumcision. And then the second one that's referred to here is the ceremony of purification. Verses 22 and 24, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. According to the law, a Jewish mother was ceremonially unclean for a full 40 days after bearing a son. So it's on the 40th day since Jesus was born that Mary brought a sacrifice to the temple. There's an interesting, and really just interesting, it's not earth-shaking, but it's an interesting note here that, that Luke refers to their purification. It may just be incidental, but, uh, but he refers to their purification in the plural, not her purification in the singular. And so it, it may be that Joseph was also considered unclean from having been in physical contact with Mary. We don't know what happened that night in Bethlehem. Uh, It may be that Joseph himself had been involved in the delivery, um, in which case he would have been himself ceremonially unclean. The background to all of this is in the Old Testament law. You can read about all of it in Leviticus 12, 1 through 8. Uh, Won't take the time to do that this morning. But verse 24 of Luke chapter 2 indicates that Joseph and Mary offered the smallest acceptable sacrifice uh, specified in the law the one appropriate to someone who could not afford a lamb. It says two turtle doves and, or two young pigeons. And that's found in Leviticus 12. And so we understand from this that, that Mary and Joseph uh, were not a wealthy couple. They were a poor couple. The third ceremony that's, that's referred to here, and, and it's amazing, isn't it? Just a few short verses and these three big things happening. Third thing is the redemption of the firstborn, what was known as the redemption of the firstborn. Verses 22 to 23, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The background to this is found in Exodus chapter 13, where we read that the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among all the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. 
And then in verses 12 and 13, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Every firstborn belonged to God. So a firstborn like Jesus was was to be presented to the Lord as holy and then could be redeemed or bought back as it were and the, and the, the offering for that was five shekels. Um, you can read of a similar thing happening in First Samuel 1 where a woman named Hannah offered her firstborn Samuel did not redeem him but offered him to serve in the temple for his entire life. Well these ceremonies really point us to the Jewishness of Jesus and that's what I want you to understand this morning and to think about. Jesus was raised in a devout Jewish home. Jesus was Jewish culturally, ethnically, religiously, even politically in a sense. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, His parents were obedient to the Lord in keeping the rituals required by the law. You'll notice if you have your Bible open that in three verses, verses 22 to 24, we encounter these three phases Phrases, according to the law of Moses, it's the first one. As it is written in the law of the Lord is the second one. And according to what is said in the law of the Lord. They were obedient as well in naming their firstborn son Jesus as they were commanded by the angel that God had sent. Verses 25 to 33 then introduce us to the spirituality of Simeon. They introduce introduce us to the man and then demonstrate to us his spirituality. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is a unique man. And he just kind of walks in to the story and then walks out again. But in verses 25 and 26, Luke tells us four remarkable things about this man, Simeon. First, he wants us to know that Simeon was righteous and devout. And from the fact that Luke says that Simeon was righteous, we can conclude that He observed both the law of God and the laws of men, both legal and moral. He was regarded by others as someone whose life and relationships could be affirmed, could be respected, could be honored, could be emulated. That he was devout tells us that Simeon was meticulous in his worship of God and in fulfilling the duties that God requires. Next, uh, Luke says that Simeon was waiting, notice the phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Today, when we hear the word consolation, we tend to think of a consolation prize, right? A reminder that you were second best at best, and, and they say something like this, so sorry that you didn't win the million dollar prize, but here's a box of detergent. Um, it's a consolation prize, some consolation in that, I guess. But it's a better word than that. The root word console 
means to soothe the grief of another, uh, to give comfort, to give solace, to give encouragement. When we are facing bitter trials, when we're facing deep loss, consolation is greatly needed. Isaiah prophesied regarding the comfort that God intends for his people in Isaiah 41 to 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And of course, that pardon, uh, that blessing, that forgiveness came through Messiah Jesus. Waiting for the consolation of Israel is another way of saying that Simeon was waiting for the coming of the Savior, the promised Messiah. The word that Luke chose here that's translated waiting means not just waiting, not just hanging out, you know, not not just going to McDonald's for a burger while the family's doing something else, but waiting actively, waiting expectantly. The promise of the Messiah wasn't just pie in the sky to Simeon. Instead, it means that he was actively waiting, ready, willing to receive all that was promised regarding Messiah who he would be, what he would do. The nation of Israel did not as a group receive Jesus as Messiah. But some did. Some were consoled. Israel will still yet receive the promised consolation as we have been seeing in our study of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, which, by the way, we will resume next week. It's an amazing thing, this waiting that Simeon was doing. It was waiting in confidence, waiting in confidence, not just in wishful thinking, but waiting with confidence. Third, Luke makes the very unusual statement regarding Simeon that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And here's why it's unusual. The activity of the Holy Spirit in relation to individuals under the old covenant was very different uh, from the activity of the Holy Spirit following the day of Pentecost and and still today. Um, The day of Pentecost occurred much later, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, 33 plus years after the events that we're looking at this morning. The Bible teaches us that since the day of Pentecost, whenever any person transfers their faith to Jesus, they are at that moment baptized by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit permanently indwells them. That's the word we use, that he takes up residence in our lives, never ever to leave again. But under the old covenant, that was not the case. The Holy Spirit didn't indwell anyone. He would come upon some in a short-term sense to empower them, to enable them to do something or to say something important. But his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament times, was very selective and always temporary. 
with only a couple of exceptions. Very few people before Pentecost ever experienced that presence and that empowerment. Um, and, And two of them appear in the narrative of Jesus' birth. One of them is John the Baptist, who the Bible says was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And then this Simeon, upon whom the Spirit rested. So for Luke to say of Simeon that the Holy Spirit was upon him is highly unusual. And the sense of the language that Luke uses here is not the Spirit, not that the Spirit indwelt Simeon, but rather that the Spirit rested upon him and remained as an abiding presence on him, but not in him. Fourth, Luke adds in verse 26 that it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Don't miss that. Waiting doesn't seem so hard when you have complete confidence that what you hope for is a done deal. And we're not told how, but in some way the Spirit had communicated to Simeon in a persuasive way a promise that Messiah would come before he died. Generations of Christians have hoped that Jesus would return before they died. I I remember as a young man reading books like uh, Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth, thinking thinking that Jesus is going to come before I graduate from high school. Uh, And, uh, you know, it just was so convincing. But to have a sure promise from the Lord is a whole different ballgame. Then it says in verse 27 that he, that is Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. Now what does that mean? probably means that the Holy Spirit led Simeon to come into the temple at the precise time that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were arriving. I don't think that we need to attach anything mystical uh, to what is happening here other than that. That it was no accident that, that that the Spirit of God led Simeon to uh, arrive at the temple at the precise time that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were arriving. It describes what we might call a divine appointment. And by the way, you know, you know, Mary was coming for purification. Joseph maybe as well. And so they would not have entered into the temple proper but they would have entered into either the court of women or the court of the Gentiles, which were the surrounding areas. But we're told here that when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, picture this. You know, you guys remember being first-time parents? The first one you ever had and how protective you were of that baby? You've traveled from the quietness and simplicity of a distant rural village. You've arrived in the noisy, swirling activity of the big city. And some dude you've never met walks up and asks if he can hold your baby. I mean, what do you do at that moment? Do you tense up a little? What do you think? I think so. I don't know that I would have been inclined to just put my baby in the arms of uh, uh, some stranger. And of course, we don't know that it happened quite that way, but, but for whatever reason, they let it happen. And what takes place next is nothing short of astonishing. 
Simeon takes the baby Jesus in his arms. And he, it doesn't say he blessed Jesus. It says he blessed God. And then he begins to worship. And he begins to prophesy. And the first thing out of his mouth is this. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Which is as much as to say... The bucket list that you gave me, God, all the boxes are now checked. And my life is now fulfilled. And I can die. Often we picture Simeon as a, an older man. We, we don't, we're not told that he's an older man. What he's saying is, this is the pinnacle. This is the apex of life. My life. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And that phrase, that expression, your salvation, in this case, means the one who embodies the salvation that God was going to accomplish and through whom he was going to accomplish it. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's only solution for mankind's salvation. He is God's only provision for the impossible predicament of our separation from God. Old Simeon had been praying. There I go calling him old, right? Simeon had been praying, he had been waiting, he had been longing to see the Savior with his own eyes. And now his heart's desire has been granted. His own eyes are gazing down at God's salvation, at the Savior sent from God, who at that moment was wrapped in a blanket and nestled in his arms. He goes on, refers to Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, which is a way, I think, of of saying that God has a plan for the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles and that Jesus would be the one who would bring it. Now let's take that in reverse order. It's in Jesus Christ, there is not only consolation, there's not only comfort, but there is glory. If you remember a story of Jesus meeting with a woman at a well in Samaria, You might recall that he said to her, salvation is from the Jews. And we need to grasp that truth. God, in his purpose, chose mysteriously, chose marvelously to bring Messiah into the world through the royal line of David. And through him, through Jesus, to bring salvation to the whole world. This is why Paul agonized so much over the spiritual condition of his own people. You may recall, if you've been here for our series through the book of Romans, that in chapter 3, Paul wrote, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faith lessness nullify the faithfulness of God. And he says, by no means. The Jews were a blessed people. 
See, God is and always has been flawlessly faithful to every promise he has ever made. And this is what makes the prologue of John's gospel so very devastating. He came to his own, John wrote, and his own did not receive him. The Jews didn't receive him. They, they rejected him. One commentator put it this way, Surely we long for the day when one of the greatest, most horrendous, despicable, effective lies of the evil one is dealt with in great measure. For what an amazing lie it is that the evil one has to an almost exclusive dimension convinced Jewish people that their problem is with Jesus. When in actual fact, their glory is in Jesus. He is their glory. Isaiah spoke this prophecy regarding the promised Messiah in chapter 49. It is, too, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus steps onto the stage of human history and says, I am the light of the world. A light for revelation for both Jews and Gentiles. Luke adds in verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I think it's a surprising comment. It's hard for me to imagine that they might still be marveling about anything considering all that they had been through on this wild journey that God had invited them on. And yet here they are once again encountering God in a miraculous way, marveling at what Simeon said about Jesus, marveling at what God was doing, marveling at the role that they had been chosen to play in it. Verses 34 to 35 reveal the mission of the Messiah in a very concise way. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's a lot there. We don't have the time to unpack it all. But here's Simeon. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Powerful statement. Profound moral, spiritual, even political implications. Fall means downfall. Fall means ruin. Fall means misery. Fall means death. Rising means restoration. Rising means renewal. Rising means resurrection from the dead. One commentator put it this way, because of the child, many in Israel would be brought to moral decision some to a point of collapse, and others to resurrection. There would be a high cost to Jesus himself, Simeon says. He would be spoken against. He would be acted upon. 
And we know that finally he would be put to death by those he came to save. And there would be a high cost to his mother Mary. A sword would pierce her own soul. Ever had a sword pierce your soul? Amongst the uh, knives that Paul or Luke could have referred to here were a dagger, a short sword, a long sword. But the word he chose here is a massive sword. Something along the lines of a scimitar. So that the power of the thrust would be devastating. The obvious fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy here would, would come 33 years later as Mary stood at the foot of a Roman cross watching her own son be crucified. But just reading the story, it's hard not to imagine that there were other moments along the way when Mary felt the piercing. The first comes in the very next passage after this one, where Jesus is now 12 years old, and they leave him behind in the city, and they're searching frantically for him. They find him in the temple speaking with the elders. Son, why have you done this to us? And his answer is, did you not know, did you not understand that I would have to be about my father's business? It came early, that piercing of Mary's soul. There's another occasion that stands out in the pages of history that that must have been very difficult for Mary. There, There was a moment when hearing the claims of Jesus, the wild claims he was making about himself and what he had come to do, his entire family thought that he had lost his mind. And they came to take him home. And Jesus was informed that his mother and brothers and sisters were outside. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Mary felt the thrust. What a picture Simeon provides for us. What a privilege he enjoyed. And what a pattern he provides for us today who are also waiting for the coming of the Lord, this time to take us home. Are we waiting actively, expectantly, thoughtfully? I think of Simeon embracing Jesus in his own arms, just holding him, holding him tight. In the same way, each of us individually needs to embrace Jesus as our own, to find in him comfort, to find in him salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, gift of eternal life, to find in him a Lord whom we would follow, with our lives and to find in him a friend who would walk with us, never leave us or forsake us. So my question 
here on the 29th of December 2019 on the brink of an entirely new decade is this. Have you heard the song? Have you heard the song? And having heard it, what is your response? You see, this may be the year that Jesus comes again for the church. Are you ready for his coming? And the way to be ready is not to get religious, (laughs) but is to get right with God through personal faith in the only one that God offered to provide our salvation, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will not face eternal destruction, but will receive the gift of everlasting life. Do you hear the song? Are you ready to meet him? Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning for those who, this morning, who were in the sound of my hearing, either in this room or later online, who may be wrestling with the question of what they will do with Jesus. And Lord, I I pray that they would hear the music and that they would hear the words and they would take it to heart and that you might grant to them the gift of faith that leads to life. And I pray it on the basis of your promise, on the basis of your gift, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our soon-coming King. Amen.